Uh, John chapter 5 is a really cool scripture that talks about a guy that was lame for 38 years, his whole life basically. We don't have a lot of details about the guy. The Bible doesn't go into a lot of his background. It just simply says that uh, he's been lame his whole life. And um, here was his daily event. There is a uh, pool inside of the city of Jerusalem, inside of the old gates, called the Pool of Bethesda. Bethesda literally uh, gives the connotation, the idea of healing. It's one of those places that if you ever go to Israel with me, I take you there. The Bible says it's right inside the sheep gate. We go in the sheep gate. So there's different gates around the city that let you in. They have different names. And the gate that we go in is called the sheep gate. And right after you walk into the sheep gate to the right is the pool of Bethesda. They've actually uncovered it. They found it. Now, a little bit of a difference. Uh, the modern pool sits probably 40 to 50 feet above where Jesus would have walked. But that's the way it is in history. When a city is conquered multiple times, they don't bother to, uh, to, to come in with bulldozers a thousand years ago and move everything out. They just built right on top of what they knocked down. And that's happened over the last 2,000 years in the city of Jerusalem in particular. It's been conquered many different times. But they've excavated this pool down uh, to where Jesus would have walked during that time. So we go to a church called St. Anne's. It's really cool. We sing inside of this church for those who can remember. The acoustics are awesome. It usually has um, many different nations there singing a song, a tune that you would recognize, but a language that you wouldn't. And I've had the experience of uh, multiple times where we've come together with maybe, you know, five or six, seven, eight, nine different languages. And we're all singing in our language, but it's the same tune. And I think it's a little bit of what heaven will be like. Every tribe and every tongue and every nation will gather together. And then afterwards, we go outside and we let people have an opportunity at this pool. A few years ago, we went to Jerusalem to shoot some video. And I was there with just a couple of people, Pastor Terry, uh, Chris, a videographer, Reuben was there helping us do this. One of the places we went to was this pool. We happened to hit it at a time when uh, Israel was in a skirmish um, with Hezbollah uh, when they were having that uh, border war in Gaza. You might remember, it was probably the last big skirmish. And literally a few days before we had gone, uh, they had ended that thing, and so many people had canceled their reservations that we got to Jerusalem. We had the entire country, let alone that city, to ourselves. Literally, for those who have been with me, you know how crowded it can be. Every place we went, it was just us. And I could film as long as I wanted to. All right, now, stop that story and tell another one. I've alluded to this, told a little bit about it. Some of you know, I've struggled with a bad back. Uh, when I was younger, I never had problems with my back. I played sports did all sorts of things, never had problems with it. And then as I got older, all of a sudden, man, I just developed problems with my back. And for those who have problems with your back, you know, it can be a very discouraging thing. It's just one of those things. And they can try and treat it, treat it, treat it. And sometimes they're successful and sometimes they're not. And I've just gone up and down with it. And I believe that God is a healer. I believe he's the same yesterday, today, and he'll be the same tomorrow. I think that healing is throughout the Bible. And my personal belief is that Jesus didn't just die to heal us spiritually, but that he also touches our body physically. But I was so discouraged because I had prayed for healing for so long and never saw anything happen. I'll ask it rhetorically. Have you ever done that? Just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for something that you believe is so clear in the Bible and that you've seen it happen for someone else, but you can't see it happen for you. That's a discouraging thing. 
I think in some way, emotionally, what I had done is instead of continuing to hold on to my faith, I let my faith sink down to my experience. Can I say that one more time? Instead of adjusting my faith up to what the Bible says, I adjusted my belief down to what my experience was. That's a dangerous thing to do. I didn't even realize that I had become so discouraged that I believed in healing, but I was having trouble even teaching on healing because I couldn't see it happen in my life. And with me, this is just simply it. If I can't see it happen, it's hard for me to get up here and fake it in front of you. And so I just got to this place where sort of like, it's not that I didn't believe it, but I couldn't see it happen, so I wasn't talking a lot about it. All right, we're shooting this video. We go to this pool. Nobody's there. We talk about the scripture. We talk about what Jesus did. Remember the story? Uh, the guy wants an angel to come and stir the waters because the first one in the waters gets healed. Jesus comes across this guy and says, hey, what are you doing? And that's what the guy tells him. I'm waiting for the angel to stir the water because the first one in gets healed. But someone always beats me into the water. Jesus just asks him, hey, do you want to be healed? Kind of, I think that's a silly question. And yet I think he's trying to get the guy to realize something. You remember that Jesus said, get up your mat, pick, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And after 38 years, the guy, he's healed. It's a am remarkable, amazing story. Um, and it happens right there. You can kind of stand there and see it. So we get done filming. Nobody's there. I had never been all the way down to where they excavated. So I took a moment and I walked down to the bottom and my back had been hurting so bad. And I stood at the bottom and I don't know if you've ever noticed this ring has a special meaning and I wear it a lot of times when I'm teaching. I got down to the bottom and they have guardrails around it so you can't fall into the water. And uh, when I stood at the bottom, I was thinking of that scripture and all of a sudden I heard the Holy Spirit inside of me say, what do you believe? And I said, you know, I believe. So what do you believe for you? I believe you are a healer, but for some reason you won't heal me. And it's just like dead silence. And I kind of heard my words and I couldn't even believe those were my words. You ever had a place where you just like realized, dude, what's happened to me? I think maybe that's why Jesus asked that guy that question was to get him to realize what's happened to you. It was dead silence and I tapped my ring. And it just echoed through that place. Now, I didn't have any great moment where an angel showed up. Nothing stirred the water. I didn't even get in. But I turned around to walk up the stairs, and my back quit hurting. I thought, eh, you know, nice, but it'll come back. Went to my hotel room. My back didn't hurt. Two weeks go by. My back doesn't hurt. A month goes by. My back doesn't hurt. I go to my doctor, and I decided I'm going to use it as a point to tell a guy that I believe in miracles. And so I told him, Jesus healed my back. And he goes, oh, that's nice. We'll see what happens, you know, later, later on. Kind of like, nice, nice, pastor. Um, I truly experienced healing in my back. I went for um, such a long time with literally no pain, God doing a miraculous thing, x-rays, a doctor even telling me I have no explanation for it. Uh, it was a great thing, and it lasted for quite some time. And then here's the other side of the story. After a couple years, it started hurting again. What is that? 
Now, I, I want to make a few statements and talk about healing real quick. Um, first, I want to say this about healing. Uh, healing is in the Bible, clearly. We should believe in healing, and we should pray for healing, and I'm going to prove it to you here in just a second. But I think another thought is true, too, that all healing in this life is still temporary healing. So even if we get healed here and now, we still live in bodies that are growing older. If you don't believe that, look who you married. I mean, it's, uh, it's happening. Sometimes people just have such a difficult time with this, and because we don't understand it, we tend to adjust our thinking down to our experience rather than adjust our faith up to what God says. So I tell that story because sometimes when people talk about healing, they talk about it like it happened and now it'll happen. And people get so confused on how it works. So our little series has been called The Faces of Jesus for Easter. We've talked about Jesus the Shepherd. Last week, uh, Kate did a magnificent job talking about Jesus the Teacher, I thought. My grandson did fantastic, too, in the message. (laughs) So did yours. And then this week, Jesus the healer. And next week, Jesus the savior for Easter. So let me begin with Matthew chapter 4, 23 through 25. I just want to make this just real. I want it to be palatable so that you understand it. But I want to raise your faith so that you believe it, so that you practice it. All right. I want to connect this first idea because this is really important. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogue, speaking of the Jews, proclaiming the... What does it say? Okay, one more time. Proclaiming the of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and sickness amongst the people. News about him spread all over Syria. This is important because if you know a map today, there's a lot going on in Syria. But if you think of the tiny little nation of Israel, it was the same back then. Syria was this great big place. And the healing that was going on in Israel because of Jesus spread for hundreds of miles. People knew about what he did, and they were so excited about it. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. And look at these diseases. Those suffering with severe pain. Look at this. The demon-possessed. Those having seizures. The paralyzed. And he healed them. It actually says all. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, which gets into the nation of Jordan. All began to follow him. The only reason I include all of this right here is it doesn't say Jesus only healed one kind of thing. He healed various diseases. But I love this part. And it's over and over and over. You'll find it again in the Bible. The connection of hearing the good news and then healing coming right on the heels of the good news. If there was ever a day where we needed to hear good news, it's today, yes or no. The gospel literally means the word translated as good news. And I don't think it's an accident that whenever we find Jesus preaching the good news, healing comes right behind it. And here's the connection. I think when a person's heart is overjoyed with good news, it's easy to begin to believe that God does other things too. Yes or no? It is so hard for people who are crushed in spirit to receive healing. And this is why it's important that you don't let your faith fall with your experience, but you let your faith rise with what God says. Because if you believe the good news, then anything else is possible in your life too. 
But if all you do is live with the bad, it's hard for faith to rise up in your life. Uh, let me prove this to you. Proverbs 15.30, the second part of the verse. Good news makes for? You ever thought about that? So I'll just ask you a question. How many times have you flipped on the news and thought, there is no good news? You pick up the newspaper, you read a magazine, you listen. I don't care what you listen to, CNN or Fox, it's all bad. They spin it to be either conservative or to be uh, liberal. But either way, it's conservative bad news or liberal bad news. Yes or no? Nobody's preaching good news anymore. And by the way, I would say that with the bad news comes great division. I just want to connect the idea that the Bible teaches that with good news comes good things. And with bad news, it seems to be a crushing thing that happens to be. Let me read another one to you. Uh, Jesus uh, used this when he talked about the call that was on his life. But he's quoting from the prophet Isaiah uh, that was written 800 years before Jesus was born. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring. One more time. To bring good news to the poor. And then look. And he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. To proclaim that the captives will be released. And that prisoners will be freed. Isn't it interesting that the good news comes first. Before a person is liberated in their mind. Liberated in their spirit or liberated in their body. There's something about the good news that Jesus brings with us that raises the level of faith. And if you lose that good news part, that excitement part, that I'm looking forward to who God is part, what happens is, man, it's easy to let your brain go with your experience rather than your faith go with what the good news says. Um, Matthew 24, 14. This is... a. This is a scripture that's usually taught in relationship to when Jesus is going to come back. But we miss the point of what it says. And the... Okay, I'm going to do this one more time. You're doing really good so far, right? So it's, it's, I'll, I'll say the first two words and you say the next two words. And the... About the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Isn't it interesting that the end doesn't even come until the good news comes first? And I bet you never read, I bet you read it a hundred times, but never read the thought that the good news, man. Do you realize every time we stand up here, every time we speak for God, every time as believers, here's what Paul tells us. When you, are, when you have to speak to somebody, to witness to them, to share with them, here's what he says. Be ready to give an explanation for the hope or the good news that's inside of you. Is there good news in you? So I just wonder if our faith sometimes gets so low. Because we're just so low with our thinking. Just crushed down and pushed down. Uh, Jesus, the very first time he does ministry, that he stands up and he pronounces who he is, he uses that Isaiah 61. This is Jesus talking firsthand. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. All of those things are supernatural. All of those things are powerful. All of those things are necessary, but they come on the heels of the good news. So the Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, meaning what you hear me say or what you're reading or what you're, what you're um, 
what you're taking in. Faith comes through the good news. And if it's not good news, I bet it's affecting your faith. I bet it's messing with your faith. Um, all right, so let me, let me do this. Um, if you've got a pen or a pencil, or you want to use the online version of the U-Notes, that's great. You might want to just write these down, because if you write them down, you'll remember them. And I'm trying to give you good news. All right, so write this down. Uh, first, I think this is important. Does God give sickness to teach us anything? I hear some people saying no, but I hear a lot of people not answering. I know a lot of you are like, I don't like to be singled out, and you do that a lot, Pastor, so I'm careful with what I, with what I say right now. So we'll do it rhetorically. You'd be safe. But I, I want you to think about this for a moment. Does God give a person sickness to teach them anything? So one time I was walking out, I believe it was this, it was this out of this, I don't remember, but got to the back and um, had, had taught on healing and I got right to the back and a lady approached me and, and she said to me, uh, God gave me sickness in order to teach me patience. Now, man, you know, first of all, it's, I don't want to crush this, I don't want to hurt this person, I don't, I'm not going to argue with this person, but I can't agree with this person. And I'm going to prove to you why I believe this for just a second. But my answer to her was just simply, I tried theologically just to teach her something. And I just simply said, um, do you think that Jesus and the Father are one and together and, you know, do the same thing? And of course, her answer is, yes, I believe that. I said, okay, so if God's putting sickness on you, but Jesus takes sickness off, don't you think they're working in opposition to each other? Doesn't that sound... I mean, just be logical for a moment. If people believe that God puts sickness, if you think God puts sickness on you, how do you pray to take it off of you? If that's God's will for you, let me come over here, okay. So if you truly believe that God puts sickness on you to teach you something, how do you pray to be healed then? If you believe that, what you really have to pray is, hey, God, bring it on. Give me more. I don't think anybody truly believes that, we can't explain the why things happen in our lives. So we adjust our theology to our experience rather than raise our belief to what God says. There's an important distinction right here. And so people tend to believe that God gives sickness. Somehow that teaching got into the body. The truth of the matter is, man, God does not give sickness to any person to teach you anything. Mark chapter 3 verse 25 would be the scripture I would just simply, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot what? It can't stand. If God is putting sickness on people and Jesus is trying to take sickness off of people, I mean, I mean, well, they cornered the market. That's really what they, you know. What do you think that is? You didn't understand what I, was actually pretty good, but I won't go there right now. <laughs> Jesus and the Father are one. Do you believe that? Yes. Okay, so they have to be doing the same thing. If Jesus is a healer, then God is a healer. It cannot be different from that. A house divided against itself cannot stand. So first of all, you've got to get that thought out of your head because if you believe that God's giving you sickness, how do you even pray? All right, here's a bigger question, and maybe this is the one that might help you like, okay, but I'm dealing with stuff, and God knows, so what is that? How about this? Can God use infirmity? Yes. Yes. That's important. It's an important distinction. 
It's a very important distinction. Let me, I'll give you two scriptures. Uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul teaches this. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. All right, now, debate me on what the thorn is. I have no idea. He doesn't make it clear. Some people said that he couldn't see well. Some people said that he couldn't speak well. I, have, I don't know. It, it might have been a physical infirmity. Maybe it was an emotional infirmity. The, the Bible's just not clear. But it was something unusual, yes or no. So, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of God. A messenger of Satan to torment me. And here's what Paul did. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And three times God answered me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Look at me real quickly. You don't want that to be your life verse. I've never heard anybody say, hey, this is the one that I, I've memorized. And, you know. Nobody wants that one, but we deal with things sometimes. And the real issue is you never say that God gave me sin. God is good, and he's good all the time. But God can use anything. And sometimes when we look at a situation, okay, like, like in my mind, I can see a whole other scenario play out with my kids. Could see a different future. And right now, I don't like the way that it's going necessarily. Like it meaning 8,000 miles away is not like getting in a car and driving to Tulsa or Dallas. Do you understand what I'm saying? To go see them is going to be a difficult thing. But here's what I have learned in my life. That there are things right now that I do not know about that if I trust God, so much good is going to come from a situation that I don't see right now so that I don't believe this is a messenger from Satan in any way, shape, or form. I don't believe that the devil's doing this, but this is not a fun thing to have to do, right? It's not fun. Does that make sense? It's not fun. I'm excited for them, and I'm excited for what God's going to do in them, and I know a whole level of anointing is going to open for them, and I, it's going to be so awesome. But my grandchildren are going to... You know, Chris and I looked at each other and said, will they remember us? I know that's stupid, but that's... Can any grandparent relate to what I'm saying right now? But I trust God in that so that I know, man, even in a difficulty like this, if I trust God, dude, he will make me strong in my weakness right now. What if my ministry, what if there's a whole level in trusting God right now that if I'm willing to do this, God will give me something I can't even ask, think, or hope for right now. So are you like, how can you believe that about God? Because God is good. He's always been good to me. This isn't God being bad to me. This is God being good. And I trust him in a difficulty. Romans chapter 8, 28. Now this is a life verse. This is one every believer should quote every day when you wake up. We know that in... Okay, so just tell me how many is all. It's like everything everybody else has, but not mine. Yeah, and we know that in... All things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. All right, God doesn't put it 
on people in any way, shape, or form. But God can show up and win with a pair of twos in your life. What the enemy means for evil, God can turn for good at any given time if you'll trust him. And what we do so often, man, is adjust our theology down and lose out on what God has for us. You play a part in it. God doesn't just do what he does without you. He's looking for partners in a harvest. Do you want to reap in your life? You don't sit back in an easy chair of faith and go, hey, God, do whatever. You partner with him through belief. You partner with him through action. You partner with him by saying, man, all things, all things, all things. And that's not hype, and that's not phony. And yes, man, my emotions go all over the place. But here's what I've learned. I don't let my brain chase after my emotions. I make... My emotions chase after truth. Did you just hear what I said? At what level do we quit living by our emotions and say, God, I'm going to believe regardless of how I feel? Okay, so how do you pray for healing then? How do you do it? All right, James, uh, I, I think in your notes it might be wrong. Um, it's not James chapter 4, it's James chapter 5, and I'm not sure if the, in my notes it was wrong. Uh, but it's James chapter 5, 13 through 16. Let me just show you this real quick. Uh, is anyone among you in, what's that word? Let them pray. So he's just giving, here's the way you handle these things. If you're in trouble, pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. So worship God and thank him. Is any among you, what? Here's what you do. Call the elders of the church to pray over them. Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And this part, I want you to see this. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will Raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Okay. So I want you to hear this real quick. The first part of that verse says, let them call for the elders of the church. But it ends with saying that the fervent, effectual prayers of a righteous person. Most of the time... We take that word elder and we think that's a pastor or somebody in a position of authority inside of a church. And it can certainly mean that. Let me tell you what a real elder is. An elder is a person who's mature enough in God to have the prayer of faith. You believe that God is a healer. You believe that God moves that way. You believe that God wants to heal a person. If you believe it, you can pray the prayer of faith. And most of the time what we do is we go to people who are weaker than we are. Hey, could you pray for me? Ah, God hadn't answered my prayer in 20 years, but I'll try. What? Here's. Listen, find someone who believes, not someone who's adjusted their experience so that their faith ends up down here, but someone who believes still. I don't understand everything, I don't get everything, but I believe God. So when I pray, I'm praying like God's going to do it right now. That's what you, that's the kind of prayers you want to pray. The effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous person. A righteous person, in this case, is a person who just believes, believe God. Just simply, Andy, believe God. Pray like, you know, so, fervent. Yeah. Oh, God, thank you for you. Fervent. <laughs> I would like to teach that, but I'm running out of time here. Okay, um, interesting. Really interesting. Listen to this real quick. All the preceding verses... In James, before James chapter 5, are teaching about patience. Listen to this. 
So he teaches about patience, and then he teaches about the prayer of faith. So sometimes when we're praying the prayer of faith, we don't pray it one time. We pray it as many times as we need to, always believing that God's going to do it. Yes. How many times do you knock on the door? Till they answer. <laughs> do you agree with that right there? So like, I just don't know uh, if that's true or not. Um, let me, Matthew 7, 7. Look at this real quick. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Eventually, God himself is inviting us. Don't do it one time and then give up. Fight. Get a little something inside of you, man. Raise up. Knock. Seek. Ask. I hate to answer my doorbell. But if somebody rings it enough, they'll get me. They may not like what they get, but they, they get me. <laughs> Here's just a statement. Um, I'm going to say it. Uh, the unfortunate part of this is that sometimes when you say words, they don't capture the meaning of a person that they should. Disappointment is the mother of bad theology. We pray, we don't get an answer, so we get disappointed, and then we adjust our theology to match our experience rather than changing our belief to match what God says. Okay, I asked and nothing happened. They keep on asking. I knocked and not what my hand got sore. Use the other hand. I'm praying and nothing's happening. All right. So let me be a realist. When someone has a sickness that's unto death, I pray and I pray for healing. And if that doesn't happen, then I pray for resurrection. And if that doesn't happen, then I trust Jesus to do what he said he'll do in heaven. But I don't go, God doesn't heal. Here's what I do. There's something I don't know or something I didn't understand or something God didn't tell me. But I don't ever, ever say God doesn't do that anymore. And that's what cessationist theology is, which, by the way, is simply this. People that teach, God did that in the first century because they needed it, but we don't need it today. My God, it's worse today than it was in the first century. Think about that. The church needs to finish as strong as it started. Do you get what I'm saying? It's not time to, to adjust a church that adjusts its theology to fit the world around it, man, it's not fit to preach the gospel. We've got to hold on to that place. Well, that makes us weird in the world. You are weird. You are. Except that you are. You're a believer. And Jesus said in the world you will have trouble and people will not accept. So quit trying to fit in and believe. Believe, man. Hold on and believe. just got to keep holding on. Okay, three. There are three kinds of healing. Let me do this for you real quick so that you understand. It's important because rather than we just think of just this one thing, if this one thing doesn't happen, then we, so, okay. So become an elder, mature a little bit, and understand how it works. Three kinds. The first one is there is spiritual healing. And maybe it's the most, we put all the emphasis on physical healing. Can I just say to you, no matter how much you get healed in this world, this world is still passing away. And your body is still aging, and you still live in a place that's not perfect. So even if you do get healed, you will face tomorrow something else. Well, I don't like that. It's too late. It's All right, Isaiah 53. This, listen. Surely, this is a prophecy about Jesus. Surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering, 
Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. This part. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Look at this. The punishment that brought us peace was put upon Jesus. And by his wounds are striped, we are Okay, does it mean physical healing? Yes, but in the sense more than anything else, you were dead in your sins. That's where you were dead first and foremost. Dude, we were falling away from God. We were born with a fallen nature. If it offends you, I'm sorry, but the truth of the matter is everyone in here is going to bust hell wide open without Jesus saving us. You can't be good enough. You can't try hard enough. You can't work at it enough. You can't ever get there. That's why you need a Savior. And Jesus died on our behalf so that we could have his life. He got our death. What a deal. What a deal. And if you're like, I don't understand theology, how about this? God loves you, and Jesus took your place. So you can have his if you want it. The place of honor is yours because he took the place of shame. That's simple theology, but the first place we are healed, and most importantly, spiritually. All right, second one real quick. John 14, 12. Look at this scripture because it's important. This is Jesus, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. This is Jesus talk about himself. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. All right, so here's what he's saying. I'm on the earth right now. And if you believe in me, you're going to do what I did and even greater because I'm getting ready to leave here. The only way to interpret that is to understand that if Jesus brought healing on this earth, he's talking to us that we can do the same thing that he did. And if the church will ever embrace the idea that we don't have to scream and yell and spit and do weird, we can just pray for people. Yes. Just yeah. pray for people. And it's like, Pastor... Of course, you can do it. Look how excited you are about Jesus. <laughs> you can do it. My prayer has no more effect, no more power. I am not any closer to God. There is not a hierarchy. You don't need a pastor, a priest, a minister, anything in order to operate the way that Jesus did. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, man. It lives in you. If we ever got that beyond here, but here, that's how you, as he was, is, so are we. So are we. All right, so there's earthly healing. Those things happen here. We can pray for those things. We should believe those things. Jesus commissioned us. Uh, there is heavenly. And that's where everything is put right and where there'll be no more, even if it happens here, it's still temporary. When it gets fixed in heaven, when God is done, it is done. Let me show you this really cool scripture. I love this scripture right here. Uh, Jesus, again, first person, I'm the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of, I hold the keys of, and the grave. And here's what this simply means. Okay? God created, here's the book of Genesis to Revelation in 30 seconds. God created man with great authority and the keys to great opportunity. Man listened to the enemy and handed those keys to him. And Jesus came, died, and took back from the enemy what he had given to man in the first place. And Jesus came to restore 
rightfully what belonged to us. And when we stand before him and that everything is consummated and done in space and time, the devil won't be here. Death will be a thing of the past. No one will cry. There'll be no more loss. You'll never bury another person. There is heavenly healing, man, and that is exciting and that is awesome. But understand, there's not just one kind, and we operate in all those realms. And here's the big takeaway. God has the final say over all of it anyway. Revelations 21.4, this is the one maybe that just, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death. Here, one more time. And there will be no more death. or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone. God gets the final say over it. And we live today with things that are difficult to deal with and hard to understand sometimes. And we're called right in the middle of those things with good news. With good news. And if you think just like, man, you can really hype yourself up. I buried a pastor two weeks ago. I'm dealing with the reality that a change is coming in my family. Look at me. I've been honest with you. It's difficult. But that doesn't, that's not the final word on all of this. The final word is the call of God that's on me and what God is doing in them and doing. It's good news, man. Good news didn't disappear. The good news didn't disappear. I hold all those things great in my heart. Does that make any sense? As believers, if we could allow that level of faith to rise up so that our emotions don't control our faith, but we let truth control our faith. What a powerful way that is to live, Dan. What a powerful way that is to live. Now, I can't solve everyone's issues. There's things going on. People suffer emotionally and physically. And you're going through things with family. And maybe you've got loss. And all those. Th the Bible never calls us to be deniers. It just says in the middle of it, man, we have good news. God is faithful and he loves us and he's for us and the devil can't win. I read the end of the book. We win. But I'm caught up in like chapter 14 right now. But I'm going to get up tomorrow morning and love Jesus and be okay because my faith says with what God says. Not with what all my emotions do. Does that make any sense? Man, if we could do that, I'm telling you, there's, there's the good news. So um, each campus is just going to take a few moments and, um, and worship, and uh, each campus pastor is going to close it the way they think appropriate. I just want to pray and say amen to set that up. Father, um, I know it's quick, and I know I covered a lot of ground, but Lord, I know in this is hope, and in this is truth, and in this is righteousness, and in this is joy. And Lord, um, folks, just hear me. All of our campuses, everybody that just hears me right now, 
The Bible says that Jesus was able to endure the cross because of the joy that was set before him. And I think I showed you um, this weekend that there's great truth to understanding that good news is accompanied by great works of God. God wants you to receive good news first. He wants you to find joy first. He wants you to realize, man, that He's for you. He's on your side, that He loves you, that He's speaking to you. That in all of these things, we're more than conquerors. And may that become a reality in you. May you realize God's just not, He's not doing anything to you. He's not harming you. He loves you so much. And maybe right now, you're going to go out and feel so many other things. May that thing, may the joy that God has for you be set before you so you can endure. And I just pray that. Man, as, as your pastor over your heart and your soul, I pray the Lord would just set that joy and you could see it before you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you.